Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! Hi, this is David. And this is Shlomi. And you've tuned into Left to Our Own Devices, the product security podcast. So our guest today is Mihoko Mitsubara, Chief Cybersecurity Strategist at Entity Japan. Mihoko's background is quite unique as she started out as a foreign liaison officer in the Japanese government and then went into ITEC, working her way up from a senior cybersecurity analyst at Hitachi to cyber policy director at Intel, CSO and VP and public sector chief security officer at Palo Alto, and to her current position as chief cybersecurity strategist at Entity. Mihoko is also a sought-after speaker and policy writer. Uh, it is an honor to have her with us today in the Saibalum offices. Mihoko, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're really glad you're here. Uh, so, Mihoko, you have come such a long way in the last 20-plus years. Can you please give us our listeners some insight into the path you have taken and how you went from being a foreign liaison officer to an executive cyber position at Entity? Sure. So things started to change in Japan in terms of the cybersecurity career, but people still usually stay uh, much longer in one place than Israelis or Americans. So in, in terms of my career, it's quite unique because I was always interested in national defense and security. So that's why I, I first joined the Japanese Ministry of Defense as a civilian. But then I realized that to, to be an expert on international security, and only if I do it, surrounded by Japanese thinking and analyzing in only in Japanese, it's not really international security. It's still really domestic. So that, that's why I, I thought, oh, it would be a better idea to send myself and invest in myself to, to go to uh, grad school to research and study about international security, but also surrounded by international security experts. So that's why I, <laughs> so English is not my first language, obviously. So I decided to go to Washington, D.C. to do my master's degree there. And then I actually spent an, almost one year in Hawaii. Oh, wow. Hawaii. Yeah. That, that was also to learn cybersecurity or? Uh, yeah, on beach. That's a place to learn, yeah. <laughs> best place to learn about cybersecurity. I, I, so I researched on uh, Japan-U.S. cooperation on cybersecurity at that time. And then at that time, uh, so Japan started to, to report uh, more about Japanese uh, cybersecurity and cyber attacks. The only news articles available uh, in Japanese, not in English. So I thought, well, back, back then, in the United States, uh, and the more uh, newspapers like the New York Times and Washington Post started to talk about uh, cyber attacks from uh, overseas. I thought, okay, maybe American friends might be really interested in what's happening in Japan in terms of cybersecurity. So that's why I decided to translate 
and summarize in Japanese news articles on cybersecurity from Japanese to English. And actually, helped me get a job in the Japanese industry, uh, so Hitachi Systems. Oh, wow. So that's how I started my career in high-tech world. Very interesting. And, and you also worked for one of the leading Israeli uh, cybersecurity companies as well, after Hitachi, right? Uh, I, I worked at now, so Parato Networks, and Parato Networks, and because you know, well, you know, Parato Networks and has a lot of like a business and also like you know, you know, relationship with Israeli companies. Also, the near Zook is from Israel, so you now I really appreciate you know, now NTT has an office here in Tel Aviv and NTT Israel, and you know, I am so glad that I have a past opportunities to work with Israelis and Israeli startups in the past. Right. So, so my takeaway from the answer to that question was that you can study hard in university, you can go for the right position that you want to go for, but uh, make sure to spend a year in Hawaii in the in between. Yes, it's a secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, great! Take That's notes. where surfing comes from, right? Surfing yes. the web. Uh, oh yeah, you have to yeah, yeah. surf maybe <laughs> 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 in a real wave or in the internet. Wow. So just one more question about that. Were there particular islands that you were on more than others? or I spent uh, most of my time, because my my, uh, my office uh, was in uh, Oahu, so I spent most of the time there, but then I had uh, also opportunities to go to uh, international conferences in Australia, in the United, uh, U.S. mainland, but also in uh, Asia and Taiwan. So that's how I developed my 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 networks uh, with security people, uh, defense people, but also cybersecurity people. And I assume having the base as the foreign liaison officer probably also helped that experience uh, dealing with other countries. And I think that you know, oh, I didn't realize or anticipate that it will help me to get myself in well positions uh, to to deal with uh, different. Uh, people, and I'm, I'm so glad that I started out on my career from a defense community first. Right. Okay, excellent. So you write extensively on Asia-Pacific policy issues and cybersecurity. What do you believe was your most important work to date that had the greatest impact? Um, so almost three years ago, I published my first book on uh, cybersecurity uh, in Japanese, and actually it uh, won an award. And uh, so these days, everybody is now interested in cybersecurity and more concerned about cyber attacks. But it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, senior executives or government leaders or academia uh, feel comfortable about cybersecurity because they're a bit intimidated by technical terminologies. So that's why it sort of it makes sense uh, for me to to break down a complicated concept of what cybersecurity really means to the business or policy world, and who are the cyber attackers, and why they decided to do to play a bad guys in cybersecurity, and who are the white hat hackers. So what are the their day to day jobs, and what unique challenges Japan has to face and deal with. I'm so glad that people are more like care about cybersecurity. Very interesting. I'm curious. You've been an advisor to the Japanese government about cybersecurity. Uh, where do you see the readiness of Japan as compared to other countries? 
So sometimes I feel saddened to see that now some people say that Japan is so behind in terms of cybersecurity and cyber readiness. But if you take a look at the real numbers and statistics, it's not necessarily true. Uh, so I always try to bring up statistics on cybersecurity. So, for example, more people are now scared about the ransomware attacks. It's a real problem in the United States, Israel, Japan. So take a look at the number uh, provided by Proofpoint. In 2021, uh, 72% of surveyed American companies are affected with ransomware. Wow. 72%. Well, it's according to this proof point. Yeah. And in the United Kingdom, 78%. And Australia, 80%. Mm-hmm. Japan, guess what? 50%. Mm-hmm. 50% was still not a good number, but still much less compared to other advanced countries. Okay, so the next problem. Okay, how many actually victims pay a ransom, right? Because yeah. it's a huge uh, pain uh, for everybody. So again, in the US, 64 victimized companies paid, 64. In the UK, 80%. In Australia, 80%. In Japan, only 20%. Wow. Yeah, so much less. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, well, back in, it was back in 2021. And after that, we started to see more and more small and medium-sized companies started to get victimized by ransomware attacks. And they do not necessarily have backup data ready. So I'm sure that the the victimized numbers and also the the companies to pay a ransom have changed since 2021. But looking at the statistics in 2021 means that Japan at least in terms of the major companies, Japan are doing a very good job about cyber defenses. Interesting. Do you, do you think that's because of education, that people are more educated about attacks, about phishing, about ransomware, uh, protecting their passwords, identity theft, and things like that? I, I think that the, so the Japan, was, Tokyo was selected to host the Tokyo 2020 Summer Olympic and Paralympic Games back in 2013, and it was a big moment in Japan. Everybody, from the government, central government, the local government, uh, the big companies and academia, it was like a wake-up call. Okay, we have to really make sure that we have a clear deadline to some 20s to, to enhance our national cybersecurity capabilities to this level. But we all know that 2022, bad guys will stop doing cyber attacks. So we have to create a good legacy and good ecosystem. So that is why that on a, I think that it actually helped the parents to do a better job about the cyber defenses. But Every single country is still struggling with how to ensure to help uh, small and medium-sized companies uh, for better uh, cyber defenses. Right. I'd be I'd be interested also to know um, from a resources point of view. Do you do you feel like the you know in, in the United States there's no question in Europe that that there is definitely a shortage of good cyber security professionals. Do you feel the same shortage in in Japan and? You know, are there are there good training courses in universities and programs to help to bring people up to speed? Um, so Japan is on the same page with Israelis and Americans, and we have an acute shortage of good cybersecurity professionals. And we uh, have uh, universities to provide uh, computer science uh, degrees 
and also um, we have a special uh, program on uh, cybersecurity or information security. But usually uh, those uh, programs are more uh, technology focused. Mm -hmm. But some universities, like um, uh, Kyushu University uh, in the western part of Japan, they actually made one cybersecurity course and a mandatory for every incoming student. And it is a basic uh, technical aspect of cyber attacks. Mm -hmm. but they also teach about you know, policies and strategies about cybersecurity. So it's because cybersecurity is a problem and a challenge opportunity for everybody. So yeah, yeah it makes sense to, to cover a holistic view of cybersecurity. That's incredible. I think it's far ahead of, of a lot of countries that this approach of uh, you know giving everyone exposure to to this training. I think one of the things that'll be interesting to see there are new regulations coming out in the United States. The Omnibus uh, Provision Bill, which had a lot of talk of cybersecurity for medical devices in in Europe, the R one fifty five for automotive. And it'll be interesting to see if if the Japanese government will follow with similar types of regulations for, let's say, away from the IT side, more on the device side and product side, which is kind of, you know, the stuff that we work on. Because what we're finding is that it's almost emerging as a new threat vector. And the more we move into connected devices and products and autonomous vehicles, the more important that will be. Yes, that's so true. So um, the Japanese government enacted a new Economic Security Promotion Act because cybersecurity can be a national defense issues, but also economic security issues. Mm -hmm. So it was enacted one year ago. Um, and this year, the Japanese government is getting ready to, to release a new regulations on critical infrastructure companies to make sure to better job uh, for uh, supply chain risk management, mm -hmm. but supply chain risk management uh, is also um, closely tied into uh, cybersecurity. So it's going to be the combination of uh, not only the, the physical supply chain risk management, but also cybersecurity too. So, so that will include connected devices in it? or uh, So we haven't seen the, the, the regulation yet. Right. Well, because everything is so connected. Right. So they need to, to make sure that IoT security too. Yeah, it's kind of included by default by these days. <laughs> right, yeah. everything today includes by default, yeah. uh, right? Product security, device security. So uh, what is the most exciting project you're currently working on at NTT that you can share with us? I'm sure you're working on things that you can't share with us, but maybe there's something, you know. Well, happy to uh, talk about it. Um, so I'm so excited to be back in Tel Aviv because um, for A, so Cyber Week is one of the most favorite conferences on cybersecurity in the world. So I always come back here since 2018. Uh, of course, during, not during the COVID. But B, because now NTT has an office in Tel Aviv and and the, the, our first inaugural CEO of NTT Israel, Noor um, Asher, uh, I've actually known her since her time in Tokyo because she used to be an economic uh, minister at an Israeli embassy in Tokyo. Mm. And well, of course, now I've known her you know, for the, the last several years. And she actually helped me to come to the Cyber Week conference uh, in Tokyo. 
But we had never expected that she would be the CEO of NTT Israel. So the, it was like a most unbelievable, but also like a exciting news, personally and also professional for me, because now I can come back to my 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 favorite conferences uh, in Tel Aviv, but also I can see my Israeli colleagues, and that's really amazing. But also that we are creating a great ecosystems to to bring together uh, Japan, uh, rest of the world, but also like Israeli you know, startups and technologies, including cybersecurity. That's great. It's interesting how things turn out. So you are. Um quite familiar with Israeli cybersecurity, as you just mentioned, and cybersecurity companies having worked for Palo Alto Networks for a couple of years uh, as well. So how do you see the relationship between Israel and Japan on cybersecurity cooperation? I, I, I think that, well, it's still new uh, compared to uh, the Japanese relationship with other uh, countries, but I think that it's going well and also expanding uh, so, for example, and because in the NTT leadership recognized the importance to invest in uh, technology, so that's why we decided to create an NTT Israel in this country. And also, um, we already started to, to create an ecosystem on emerging technologies and cybersecurity. So we are already working together, and I hope to see more coming up. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you for that. So, what was the most amazing, unbelievable moment you had in your career so far? And I'm sure it wasn't on the beaches in Hawaii, right? <laughs> wow, you already, <laughs> you already stole my line. But uh, besides that, now I've been experiencing a paradise on Hawaiian beach. I think the most amazing uh, moment to this date in my career is actually hired by NTP. So the previously I worked in the Japanese media defense, and, uh, Hitachi, and also Power Networks, and, uh, Intel. And looking Japan, looking at Japan from outside, and uh, American high tech companies, I'm like, okay, so Japan is doing a lot in terms of cybersecurity, but they are not necessarily good at like, promoting and explaining what Japan has been doing and how Japan better collaborate with other countries and other startups and other companies. So I thought like, okay, maybe it's the time for me to to, to bring this like uh, expertise back to Japan for where it would be the best place. And uh, the, my manager, the global CISO, uh, Shinichi Okohama, I've actually known him uh, since I was at Power Networks. And then I really admired him, I respected him, and I really wanted to be on his team, not just in NTT, but on his teams, because you know, I really believed in uh, his aspirations to be a sole leader in cybersecurity. And so he like, serves as like, a role model in the cybersecurity world. So I'm really glad that uh, five years ago, you know, he, did, you know, he and the NTT leadership and they decided to hire me. Uh, to 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 serve better in cybersecurity. Well, great answer. So I think as uh, one last question, we we like to ask our guests. Uh, we're we're curious to know what you think. Uh, what what kind of advice you would give? Tips, tricks to people just starting out in cybersecurity or thinking about getting into cybersecurity. What should they focus on? What areas? Uh, any other advice that you you would give them? 
so because cybersecurity is related to everybody because every single person on this planet uses IT every single day for your daily lives or business or academic work. Um, so, so anything you do for your work or daily um, lives is related to cybersecurity. So you have something to offer. And maybe you haven't uh, studied uh, technical aspects of cybersecurity yet, but it doesn't, it will never stop you from being a cybersecurity professional. So for instance, I actually majored in European history in my undergrad. European history. European, European history. history. Wow. And, oh. and also, I actually, you know, my thesis was on uh, Renaissance. And Renaissance, Renaissance people didn't have computers back then. Right. <laughs> but still, I, I, and, uh, I'm now you know, working on cybersecurity. So I always encourage you know, the young people, but also like middle-aged people and any like a generation, like, you know, you will never raised to be cybersecurity professionals. And, and then you can kind of talk to anybody in, in this field because everybody has a, such an amazing and diversified background. Everybody has different views to look at cybersecurity. And our adversaries is really like creative yeah. <laughs> to, to, to attack us and find the vulnerable uh, pieces in our defense systems. So that is why that, that I'm looking for uh, amazing people who can offer a diversified views to look at cybersecurity. Well, I can relate to that so much because I, I studied history and physics and then yeah. I ended up in marketing for cybersecurity. So I, I completely understand how uh, you know different points of view can, can really contribute. And you actually see it a lot with a lot of our guests that come from very varying backgrounds that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So thanks for that. I'll, I'll be quiet because I studied computer science, first degree and an MBA, second degree. So <laughs> I'm a bad example. <laughs> no, because no, I think it's totally relevant because looking at you know, the technical aspects of cybersecurity and then you have to, because you have to work with business people and you have to embed cybersecurity mindset into business operations. So I think that that's a perfect combination uh, to your academic course so that you can better serve your listeners, but also your customers. Right. But I think, you know, having studied European history, so there's also the, the point of networking in the market and in the industry. And I think the more knowledge that a person has, the better they connect to people. And I, and I think that's one aspect about why it's sometimes it's better to do, to take liberal arts courses or you know, to learn other things than specifically computer science, then, you know, I had to pick up all that other stuff on the side. <laughs> but I think um, it definitely helps when, when you're a, you know, foreign liaison, when you're talking to people who are coming from all different cultures. And, and I think maybe that's actually an advantage that you have uh, having studied other things. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Moko, um, I want to thank you very much for, for joining us today and for coming to visit our offices. And, uh, you know, we'd like to stay in touch and we hope to visit you when we're in Japan. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm honored. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com. Cybellum.